All right, good morning, new life. Morning, morning, morning. morning. All right. All right, Joey. Well, sun, sun's out, all right? Okay, here we go. Um, so we're continuing this series called Upper Story Friends. Let me get started with a little group participation, a little group participation to get us started. So I'm going to name one half of a dynamic duo, famous dynamic duo, and see if you can name the other half, okay? All right, here we go. Here's the first one. If I say Batman, you say Raffin. All right, good. Okay, here we go. Okay. If I say Bert, you would say Ernie. Okay, yep. Okay. We're on the same page here. If I say Mario, you say Luigi. Luigi. Okay, yep. How about this one? If I say Tom, you would say Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, okay. Oh, Jerry. Okay. I was thinking Tom and Jerry. Okay. How about this one? Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. How about Calvin and that's right, Buzz and Woody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I say Buzz, people are saying Lightyear. No, Buzz and Woody, okay. Last one, hint. Okay, this is for all you sports fans out there. Sports fans, okay. If I say Michael, you say Scotty. That's right, yeah, Michael and Scotty, Jordan and Pippen. Yes, the dynamic duo of the Chicago Bulls won six championships. When I was a kid, my best friend, well, I had two best friends, Patrick lived to the left of me, Nikki lived to the right of me. They were all, we, we were all born within five months. Patrick was the oldest, then Nikki, then came me. Patrick was a big Chicago Bulls fan, so he got to be Michael Jordan. I got to be Scottie Pippen, but it was all right. I never really got in trouble following Patrick, but following Nikki, yeah, I had to learn my lesson there. Nikki had a, a problem sometimes with telling the truth one day. He said, hey, Sean. The neighbors down the street, they just got this new fish aquarium. It's this big, giant fish aquarium, and they've asked us to come and play with their fish. Come with me. Okay. So we go over there. We hop the fence, get in their backyard, and they've got this fish aquarium on their back porch, and Nikki's got his hand in the aquarium, you know, poking at the fish, and all of a sudden the curtain of the sliding glass door opens up, and Nikki just bolts. He's gone. All of a sudden there's this woman with this big scowl on her face. What are you doing? I'm staring there like, I thought she invited us to play with her fish. What? Apparently that was a lie, right? Nikki would always times make up lies and I would follow him. And Well, I learned that day that the friends that we follow impact the life that we lead. You know, God has given us friends. And, and when we have friendship with people, it's a good thing because we can be open. We can be vulnerable. We can let our guard down around our friends. You know, when we're with our enemies, when we're people, we, our guard's going to be up. But when we're with friends, we can be comfortable. But that allows, that leads to influence. And our friends are either going to help us or they're going to hurt us. They're either going to lead us down the right path or down the wrong path. And so we need to choose our friends wisely. We can choose to be godly friends that help one another. And today we're going to look at a Bible story about two friends that were so close to one another it took a small tornado to rip them apart. All right. Second Kings chapter 2. Open your Bibles there. Second Kings chapter 2. And I will start reading in verse 1. So either get your Bibles open, get your U version ready, and you can follow along. Verse 1 of Second Kings chapter 2 says this. So the time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Kind of interesting. Okay, what's going on here? Let me paint a picture of what's going on in history at this point. It's about the year 850 BC. The northern kingdom of Israel has recently split off 
from the southern kingdom of Israel. So Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and Israel had no good king. All the kings in Israel were leading the children of Israel to worship other gods, the gods of the nations around them. And it was leading to destruction, leading to decay in their society. Judah had some good kings, but a lot of bad kings as well. And so God would send the children of Israel prophets to speak messages on his behalf. To tell them, hey, you need to turn back to me or it's going to lead to more destruction in your lives. And one of these prophets was a guy named Elijah. Elijah would speak messages on behalf of God. and He would tell the nation of Israel, hey, turn back to God because he is the one true God. And to prove it to you, he is going to do miracles. Elijah can do miracles. So maybe you remember the story. Maybe you remember the story in 1 Kings 19 when Elijah goes up on top of Mount Carmel and has a little contest with 850 false prophets, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, these false gods. And they say, hey, let's build some altars. And whichever God can rain fire down from heaven, that will be the true God. We will know to worship them. And well, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jehovah, sends fire down from heaven and burns up the altar. Elijah does exactly what God commands him to do. And so shortly after that, God gets Elijah's attention and says, hey, Elijah, you've been faithful. You've done what I've asked you to do. It's now time to appoint a successor, someone to follow in your footsteps, someone to be the next prophet of Israel after you. And so he actually tells him, hey, I want you to go to this town. This is where Elisha lives. Right, I, you know, God has like a sense of humor just so we can get their names confused. Like, I'm probably going to mix up their names multiple times today, okay? But there was Elijah, and he says, I want you to go appoint Elisha as your successor, okay? Anoint him the next prophet so he can follow in your footsteps. And so that's what we see happening. We see Elijah going to Elisha, who was a farmer at the time. He's plowing his field. And Elijah takes off his mantle or takes off his outer garment, his cloak, and he puts it on the shoulders of Elisha, a a symbol of saying, hey, I want you to come and follow me. Similar to what Jesus said to his disciples when he said, hey, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. My yoke is light. He says, follow me. And so that day, Elisha started following Elijah, became his intern. He was making him copies. He was going and fetching him coffee. He was doing whatever he needed to do. The text actually said he held the water so that Elijah could wash his hands. Like, he was his intern. He just, wherever Elijah went, Elisha was right behind him, following him, learning from him. Even when Elijah tried to kind of zig and zag and try to kind of lose him, as we can see in the text next. So we're going to read a bunch of verses here. So stay with me, all right? It's story time with Sean. It's story time with Sean. Here we go. So it says, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, hey, stay here. The Lord is sending me to Bethel. But Elisha replied, hey, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophet who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Okay. Uh, Elijah said to Elisha, hey, stay here for the Lord is sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, hey, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came up to Elisha and said, hey, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you today? He said, yes, I know. Be quiet. Uh, Elijah said to him, hey, stay here for the Lord is sending me to the Jordan. 
But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets came and stood observing them at a distance. While the two of them stood by the Jordan, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, which parted to the right and left. Then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Hey, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. So Elisha answered, Hey, please let me inherit two shares of your spirit. Elijah replied, You have asked for something difficult. If you see me being taken away from you, you you will have it. If not, you won't. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses, a fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. As Elisha watched, he kept on crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. When he could see him no longer, he took off his own clothes, he tore them in two, picked up the mantle that had fallen off Elijah, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He, he took the mantle Elijah had dropped and he struck the water. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He asked. He struck the water himself and it parted to the right and the left. And Elijah, Elisha crossed over. When the sons of the prophets from Jericho who were observing him saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. You know, what do we see here? We see that the friends that we follow impact the life that we lead. We see Elisha picking up exactly where Elijah had left off. You know, just kind of think about the picture here. He had followed Elijah to this part of the Jordan River. Okay, this side of the Jordan River. He's far from home. Elisha's like, I got to get back home. I got to go back west. But there's a river in my way. Like, how am I going to get back home? Normal people, most of us, we'd just be like, I guess it's time to get wet. Right? It's time to practice our Michael Phelps, try to get across this river. But not Elisha. He's like, no, I saw my man. I saw Elijah do it. Maybe I can do it as well. So he does exactly what he saw Elijah does. He wraps up this mantle. He hits the water, and it parts to the right and to the left. Right? Because the friends that we follow impact the life that we lead. And it shouldn't be surprising that we see Elijah picking up exactly where Elijah left off because, well, what does Elisha ask for when Elijah says, hey, my time is short. Our time together is coming to a close. What can I do for you? What, what, what can I do for you? Could, could I maybe put in a good word for you to the king? Could I uh, maybe do another miracle for you? That's not what Elisha asked for. It's not what he wants. What, do you ask, what does he ask for? In the, in the New International Version, the version I grew up reading as a kid, Elijah, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He says, can I have a double portion of your spirit, Elijah? Which, I mean, how do, how do you think that sounded to Elijah? Here, here's how I, I think it might have sounded. Oh, what, what can you do for me? What, what, can, what, can, what can you do for me, Elijah? Here's what you can do for me, Elijah. Man, Elijah, I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. I want to be a great preacher. I want to be a great prophet. Preach to hundreds of people. I want to do miracles. 
right? I want to have a big ministry. I want to have a relationship with God like you. I want to have a close, intimate relationship with God like you. I want to be just like you, but better, right? You know, I want to I be better than you, okay? I want to be twice as powerful. I want to be twice, you know, as effective. I want my, your ministry's here. I want my ministry to be up here. I want to be just like you, but twice as good. Like, what? Like, if your intern came to you and was like, hey, I want my business, okay, to be twice as big as your business, okay? I want to have, I want to have twice the customers, okay? I want, to, I want to have twice the sales. I want to be twice as powerful, twice as good as, as your little... It's like, how would you respond? If I, if I was Elijah, I'd be like, what you talking about, Willis? What? Double, double my spirit, double the portion? Like, have you not seen, have you not been observing like, did you not see the miracles? Did you not see the fire from heaven? Did you not see all of the sermons I've preached, all of the people that I feel all? You must be outside your mind. You must be outside your mind. Like, I'm going to go down number two on Israel's all-time miracle worker list. Moses, he gets number one. Like, automatically number one, you lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He split the Red Sea. I've split the Jordan. I mean, he split the Red Sea. So he gets number one. I'm going to be number two. You get in your own place. Like maybe number three, Elisha. A double portion of my spirit. That's not how he responds, though. Elijah's like, wow, like a double portion of my spirit? That's a difficult thing to ask for. I, I, that's, whoo, that's, but what faith, what vision that you're not content to, you know, just kind of maintain the status quo. Just kind of pick up where I left off and it just be the same, but to take it to a different level. Man, that's incredible vision. I want to see it happen, Elisha. I want to see it happen. That would be wonderful. It's going to be difficult, so what you need to do, you need to stay so close to me. You need to walk stride and stride with me so that whenever God takes me away, you're going to be right there. And you will see me taken up into heaven because he stayed with him, because they walked together. Yes, Elisha receives a double portion of Elijah's Spirit, And that's why when we turn the pages of Scripture in 2 Kings, we see Elijah doing miracles just like Elijah, right? He, he heals people that are sick, okay? He raises people from the dead. There are people who are without water and without food who are going to die if Elisha didn't perform a miracle and Elijah provides them food and water and they survive. He predicts things that are going to happen and they come true just like Elijah had. The only difference is, do you know how many miracles Elisha did? He performed twice as many as Elijah. Twice as many. He received a double portion of Elijah's spirit. You see, Elijah was a godly friend. A godly friend to Elijah who wasn't jealous of his success. Who wasn't going to say, okay, I got up here so you can maybe get to my level. No, he was saying, I actually want your ministry and your life to be more impactful than mine. Like if you become more popular, if you do more things, that is a win. See, godly friends aren't jealous of their friends' successes. You know, Jesus, he summarized the attitude of a godly friend in John 15, 13, when he says, hey, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Than a man lay down his life for his friends. I'll admit that I oftentimes don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I make my friends' lives better today? It's not typically the first thing I'm thinking in the morning. So typically, I'm waking up and saying, how can I make my life better today? So that's why I got to go to my knees in the morning and pray for my friends. I got to pray for my friends. And so they're people that I'm thinking, hey, God, would you, would you help me bless 
Daniel's life today and Andy's life today and JR's life today. Help me to allow you to shine through me so they can take another step closer to you. Godly friends do that. Godly friends celebrate the successes of their friends. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that are are concerned about your well-being? Do you have friends that oftentimes offer you tips and advice? Maybe maybe you got one of those friends. I've got a friend that offers stock tips. You know, you got that friend that's like always giving you stock tips. Oh, you got to buy this stock. I've I've got one of those friends and I've learned my lesson. Okay, I've learned my lesson. Unfortunately, my other friends haven't though. You know, they haven't. So not too long ago, he says, hey guys, on Monday, this company they're going to make this big announcement this big partnership you got to buy this stock by Monday it's going to triple so they all bought it Wednesday Thursday we had dinner together hey Dan great yo great stock tip they all bought it and just started going down going down going down Monday they make this announcement it wasn't the big announcement he was expecting continue to go down guys hold on to it it's a long-term investment guys it's a long-term investment we all have some of those friends right he's got the right motivation he's just got the wrong information Okay, the right motivation. He says, if I'm going to get rich, I want my friends to get rich. Do you have friends that are saying, hey, I want to make my friends' lives better? That's the attitude of a a Christian godly friend. Have you ever heard of the name Billy Graham? Ever, Ever heard of that name, Billy Graham? You know, some of us probably heard the name Billy Graham, preaches millions of people. Have you ever heard the name Bill Bright? Does that name ring a bell to anybody? Bill Bright. Some of, some of us recognize the name Bill Bright. He started an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now known as Crew. It's you know, a ministry of thousands of campus ministries all over the world. Um, have you ever heard the name Jim Rayburn? Jim, Jim Rayburn. Some, of, some people have heard the name Jim Rayburn. He was the visionary behind Young Life, okay, a ministry that, you know, Thousands and thousands of high school students' lives have been changed for the gospel because of young life. Have you ever heard the name Bob Pierce? Bob Pierce? Bob Pierce ring a bell? Okay, some of us have heard Bob Pierce. He started World Vision. um, World Vision, and that's an organization that serves people all over the world that are in poverty in the name of Christ. It's Billy Graham, Bill Bright, Jim Rayburn, Bob Pierce. They all have one thing in common. They're all mentored by the same person, all mentored by the same person. It was a young single woman. Well, she was single. She was young at one point. She got older, but she would, her name was Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears, she was a Sunday school teacher in Southern California. Her friend said that she was the greatest preacher they'd ever heard. And yet she never had a pulpit ministry. She never sought attention, never led a big, giant organization, but she had this attitude She said, I'm going to be a godly friend. She said, I don't need the notoriety. I don't need the fame. I don't need any fortune. I just want to serve Jesus. She lived by this attitude. She said, I will allow my fruit to grow on the trees of my friends. That that was the attitude of a Christian businessman named Bob Buford. He was a man that had very successful in the business world, but he says, my success isn't going to be felt through me and the, the lives that I will change, but through the lives of the leaders that I invest in who are going to go and change the world. Guys like Todd Wilson, who was once a member of this campus, who went on to start Exponential, the largest gathering of church, church planters in the world. Bob invested into him, and he said, because I'm content to allow my fruit to grow on other people's trees that's the attitude of a godly 
friend. That was Elijah's attitude. Do we have that attitude? Do our friends have that attitude? Do, do we say, hey, I want my kids to know Jesus. Like, I want my kids to follow Jesus, but I actually want my friend's kids to follow Jesus as well. And so, man, if my friend's kids actually follow Jesus a little bit more than mine do, that's still a win, right? I want to have a great relationship with my spouse. I want my marriage to be centered on Christ. I want it to thrive, but I also want the marriages of my friends to thrive as well, and so I'm going to allow them to learn from me, learn from our mistakes. Maybe you're an older couple, and, and you can take a younger couple and, and walk with them and allow them to pick your brain, allow them to share the struggles that they're going through and say, walk with us. We've navigated 30 years of marriage, maybe it is. We want to help you out. Do we have godly friends that we're walking with, that we can learn from, that we can grow through? You know, Elijah and Elisha, they, they understood that the more time you spend with one another, the more you're going to influence one another for the good or for the bad. They knew that because about 100 years before they lived, reigned a king in Israel named King Solomon. And he wrote these words in scriptures, Proverbs 13, 20. He said, he said, walk with the wise and you will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Well, king Solomon, he said, walk with the wise and you will be wise. Yes, the friends you follow impact the life you will lead. And this isn't just what the Bible tells us. It's what science tells us. Morin Cerf is a neuroscientist at Northwest University in Chicago. And he's been studying relationships and human um, engagement for the better part of two decades now. And his research shows that just by sitting next to somebody, just by walking with somebody, being in the same room as other people, actually starts aligning your brain waves with one another, all right? Here, here's crazy, but this is his research. He says this, I quote, the more we study engagement, we see time and again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brains with them. Okay, crazy, right? The people you're next to, all right? The, this means the people you hang out with actually have an impact on your engagement with reality beyond what you can explain, and the one, one of the effects is you become alike. Yes, you become alike. You walk with the wise, and you will grow wise. And so if you want to start a business, hang out with entrepreneurs. You want to have a healthy marriage, hang out with people that have healthy marriages. You want to be financially secure, okay, hang out with people that are made wise choices with their money, people who have wrecked their marriages, people who have wrecked their finances. They aren't going to be afraid of wrecking yours, okay, right? You hang out with wise people, it'll help you be wise. A few years ago, SAP HR Human Research Company, they conducted a study. They, they researched and they studied. They actually took 43 published studies about employee um, engagement and, and employee pr productivity in the workplace. Studies, 43 different studies taken over 30 years. And they concluded this, that employees in the workplace that had a mentor, had someone to meet with on a regular basis, those employees received higher pay, had a greater number of promotions, had a higher work satisfaction, and more, were more committed to their work as compared to employees that didn't have a mentor, didn't have somebody walking with them. It's why when we see business leaders today, 
They oftentimes credit their success to the people that mentored them. Mark Zuckerberg, he credits Steve Jobs for the investment he's made in his life. J.J. Abrams, the film director, he gives credit to Steven Spielberg for the investment that he made into his life. Bill Gates credits Warren Buffett. Oprah Winfrey credits Maya Angelou. Bill Belichick, oh, Bill Belichick, I, oh, I don't like that guy. He credits Bill Parcells, the evil Bills of football. Okay, those are the evil Bills. The good Bills are the Buffalo Bills play at 425 today against the Chiefs. It's going to be a, I don't think I can watch it. My heart won't take it, okay? But, yes, these people, all of these people were very successful in their careers when they sought out a mentor. They were already successful, but they had the humility to realize, I still got room to grow. And I can only grow so much on my own. I need somebody who's a little bit further down the road than I am to help me get to where I want to go. That's why I love a lot of the ministries that we have here at New Life. Ministries like Mops, Mothers of Preschoolers. Where we don't just say, hey, learn a great lesson. But here's a mentor, a mother who's a little bit further down the line, who has raised kids out of preschool and toddler age that can come alongside of you and walk with you. It's why I love our Celebrate Recovery ministry. We don't say, hey, just come listen to this testimony, but come and wrap your arms around some people. And, and, and you know, lock your arms with somebody that's battled an addiction, that's gone through hard times. So maybe you're not even conquered it yet, but you're going to walk through this journey together. Not on your own, together. You know, one, one guy that participated in our Celebrate Recovery ministry for a while is this guy here. His name is Chad Boer. Some of you remember he's attended this campus. He showed up at New Life about 10 years ago. At that time, he was convinced that God wasn't real. Just a make-believe story. He was convinced of that. He was an atheist, but he also was convinced that his marriage was a wreck. He said his marriage was heading towards divorce if something didn't change, and so that's why him and his wife Natalie showed up to church. Just kind of a throne of hell marriage, just trying to save their marriage, and he showed up at our Chantilly campus and he became friends with Mike Fuster, who was the campus pastor at the time. And Mike just said, hey, let's just walk together. Let's just walk together. And Mike helped Chad to see the areas in his marriage that were falling apart and were kind of due to some of the decisions he was making. He had to take ownership of those decisions. Had to start working on being a better spouse. And so he started working on that. And as he was working on his marriage, all of a sudden God started to open up his, his eyes to him. His heart was open to the gospel, and he became a follower of Jesus. He surrendered his life to Christ in the waters of baptism. And he started studying apologetics and saying, hey, is this really true? Is this just a make-believe story that I want to believe? Well, he became convinced that it was the truth, and he wanted to share with more people. So he started Bible studies in small groups and men's ministry programs. And he began to really, really grow, 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 grow. But he realized, I can only grow so much on my own. I can I only go so far by myself. And so he sought out an older gentleman who had, he had seen, had a, a longer, you know, longer faithful marriage. He said someone who had had more years of experience as a parent who had raised his kids into adulthood. And so he found Santa Claus. Okay. Literally looked up Santa Claus. Okay. Glenn Letterbore. Okay. He plays Santa. He's one of our, he's been one of our elders on the leadership team at New Life. But, but Glenn, he saw somebody that was a little bit further down the road. He just said, hey, Glenn, could we meet together just once a week? Could, I, could, I, could we just meet together once a week and I could just share some of the things that I'm going through, some of the questions that I'm wrestling with, some of the issues that I'm facing? And Glenn said, yeah, let's do it. This is what Chad says about their relationship. 
It says, Glenn let me ask questions, and he shared his experiences. He cared about me and my family. When I needed support, he would support me. And when I needed solutions, he would coach me. Most of our difficulties can be overcome through a change in perspective, Chad says. Glenn would challenge me to view things differently and to take steps that may be uncomfortable. I gained wisdom beyond my experiences, and I avoided some pitfalls that I was blind to. Chad says, I also gained a friend. He also gained a friend. And while Chad was being mentored by Glenn, Chad met a guy at church that was going through a hard time. I was talking to this guy the other day. He said, hey, when Chad found me, I was curled up in the fetal position metaphorically, but also literally some days. He says, I couldn't even get out of bed some days. There were many days I didn't think I could go on. He said, but Chad started walking with me. He began to help me see that there is a heavenly father who went to great lengths to adopt me into his family. He said, Chad would show up at my house, sometimes unannounced, just helping with house projects just so we could spend more time together. He said, Chad checked in on me, would spend time with me every single day for two years. For two years. This man's name is... Craig Edmonds. Um, Craig is actually on our staff now at church. Um, guy that is helping us kind of with systems and processes at our church. I actually shared a hotel room with Craig a couple weeks ago as we were on a staff conference down in Nashville together. And I just said, hey, Craig, could you just share with me a little bit about your relationship with, with Chad? And holding back the tears, Craig told me about their relationship. And he said, you know, when I didn't think I could move on, Chad was walking with me. And he, he helped me, he learned, help, he taught me how to pray, how to have a relationship with God. He said, Sean, Chad is the first real friend I've ever had. The first real friend he ever had. Now, what do we see in those relationships with Mike and Chad and Chad and Glenn and Chad and Craig? We see Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen as iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. So one person sharpens another. And Craig is now mentoring men and walking with them. One thing I love about Craig is he's, well, he's, he's a retired Marine, and so he's not afraid to share truth when truth needs to be shared, right? Sometimes he needs to learn how to share it maybe with a little more love, okay? Ephesians 4.15 puts it this way. Hey, speaking the truth in love, we're going to build each other up. We're going to sharpen one another. But godly friends aren't afraid to share honest, hard truth with one another, right? That's a part of iron sharpening iron, right? When iron sharpens iron, there's a little bit of friction. There's a little bit of conflict. But godly friends aren't afraid of that because they really care about the well-being of their friends. We see that in Elisha's story. We see the sons of the prophets going to Elisha and saying, Hey, hey, hey did you know that the Lord's going to take your master away from you? And how does Elisha respond? Yeah, I know. Be quiet, right? Like, don't remind me. Like, zip it. Like, I don't want, that's an inconvenient truth. I just want Elijah to be here all the time. I would rather ignore that inconvenient truth. But they were sharing, saying, hey, your time is short. Your time with your master is short, so stay with him. Don't let him go. Be close to him. Right? They share this truth because they were concerned about his well-being, even though he didn't want to hear it. One verse that we'll hear over and over again in this series is Proverbs 27, 6. It says this, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. The wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
Yes, an enemy multiplies kisses. I hate that verse. Oh, I hate that verse because I'm a prideful people pleaser. I don't know if I, maybe I'm the only one here, but I don't like taking correction, especially from my friends. I'm like the audacity. Who are they to share that? But that's kind of played out in my life this way when guys have told me, hey, Sean, what are, you, what are you doing spending time with that young lady? She's not pursuing Jesus like you are. And I've had to say, I don't want to hear it, but you're right. And because they shared that with me, that saved me a lot of grief, saved me a lot of heartbreak. But luckily, I had godly friends that told that to me. You know, I don't like giving correction. I would rather just multiply kisses. Right, I see people in, in, in bad, making bad decisions, driving their marriages off a cliff, and I'm saying, you do you. Like, you know, you'll probably figure it out someday, okay, but I just want to be your friend that you love, that you think well of all the time. I rarely have the courage to be that godly friend that shares that hard truth. Mark Twain, he put it this way, he says, the truth hurts, but silence kills. Yeah, the truth hurts, but silence kills kills do we have those godly friends in our lives do we have those godly friends that are more concerned about our well-being than about us thinking well of them that's what godly friends do godly friends are are the friends that are are there for you through the ups and downs of life and so i don't know what your next step is today when it comes to number one being a godly friend Maybe your next step today is to wake up every single day and have a group of friends that you're just going to pray for by name. And just say, God, would you bless these people today? Would you give me an opportunity to remind me of how can I be an encouragement to them today? Maybe your next step today is to share a hard truth that God's been placing on your heart and just say, hey, in love, help me figure out how to best share this truth with my friend. Maybe your next step today is to listen to those friends. Listen to those friends who have been sharing that hard truth. Maybe your next step today is to find that older couple who's a little bit further down the line than you and have them over for dinner. And just say, hey, can you, can you, can you walk with us for a little while? Can we tell you what we're going through, the struggles that we're facing in our marriage and raising our kids? Help us learn from you. Let's walk together. So we can walk into the direction of Jesus together. Jesus is the ultimate example of a godly friend. You know, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he looked at his disciples and he said, I no longer call you servants. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Why? Because he says, a, friend, a servant doesn't know his master's business, but I've revealed it to you. He said, I'm going to the cross for you. I'm going to rise from the dead, but I'm going to send you out on mission with a, with a message to share of how we can be reconciled to our heavenly father. And he says to his disciples, hey, you will do even greater things than you've seen me do because I'm going to the father, because my spirit's coming down. Because my spirit's coming down. It's kind of like Elijah and Elisha. You're going to do greater things than even me because you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit yet, you've never entered into that relationship with Christ through the waters of baptism, maybe that's your next step today. I don't know what your next step is to take, but I pray in the next few moments that you would listen to God's voice. Say, God, help me to be a godly friend. Help me to surround myself with godly friends so we can walk in the direction of Jesus together. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your son. I thank you for sending him down to earth to walk these streets that we walk on. God, he came down 
so we would know that we're not alone. God, I thank you for what Jesus has done for us, becoming a man, knowing what rejection feels like, knowing what hurt feels like, knowing what betrayal feels like. I thank you that he is walking with us, that he is our advocate, that he is our our friend. And because of what he did for us on the cross, we can now be brothers and we're adopted into your family. God, we don't deserve it, but we are thankful for it. And so God, help us to help us this week to become more like your son Jesus. Be godly friends. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.